0: Well, by this time next month, football training camps will be in full swing around the area, and that's probably a good thing. Welcome in. Today is Tuesday, July 9th, and this is another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, Jamie, football beat writer at the paper, joined alongside prep writer Cody Elliott, and today Cody and I are going to talk some football. Uh, we're not that far away. It's kind of just sneaking up around the, on the corner. Right, right, Cody?
1: It is, yeah. I, I feel like uh, spring sports just ended, and uh, you know, you think you have this big summer break, and all of a sudden um, you, know, you open your eyes and here's football season. So uh, it won't, won't be long now. I guess we're about three, three and a half weeks away from everybody getting in full swing.
0: I'd say JMU, the CAA, has its football media day in two weeks. It's literally two weeks from today. I know the other conferences, if you look at some of the FBS leagues, uh, some have theirs beginning this week, and, right. and some have theirs next week, uh, so college football season certainly heating up, and then, uh, of course, I know we've both been working on different things football-related, because football kind of never stops, even when it's the off-season in, I don't know, February or March or May, <laughs> you, you, you somehow find yourself writing about football, because that's just kind of how it goes around here, me with JMU and you on the prep scene. Uh, We're both working on some different things now. Yesterday I had a story about kind of the motivation that has to do with JMU and um, a series of articles starting with with different position uh, previews. I started with the quarterbacks that's in today's paper. And, Cody, I know you've got something you're working on, and this is kind of where I want to start today uh, on this edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Uh, I want to start with this list of returning top players in the area at the prep level uh, that you've really been putting together uh, because I think I think that's kind of what starts to get people interested you know you get to this time of year and you start thinking about you know who's who spots would got back who is East Rock still going to be good you start kind of thinking about it and you start looking at some of the players in the area so how how did you kind of come up with this idea you, you started to try to find something to get people thinking about football again.
1: Well, yeah, I think it just it starts with you know the VHSL just had their dead period last week where um, you know no teams are allowed for any contact, any practice, anything at all. Um, and then I feel like every year, right after that dead period, that's when you kind of really get into the full swing of the, of the 2019 season or, or whatever year it may be. Um, and so I think you're starting to see every team kind of really transition into that preseason mode yet. Obviously, um, none of them have officially reported to camp yet. Um, but teams are starting to look ahead. Teams are starting to get ready. You're starting to really find out who, um, you know, where everybody kind of stands with your team and what to kind of expect. So, um, yeah, just sat down and kind of looked, you know, looked through the rosters, looked looked through some of the returners, looked at some of our all-area stuff, and and um, you know, a lot of a lot of big names coming back for a lot of teams.
0: Yeah, for sure. One other thing I did want to mention also, uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some of the local area coaches. Come in and join us for the Rocktown Sports Pod next week. Danny Grog is coming in, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. We're gonna try and get Danny Grog in here um, from Broadway. And then hopefully after that, uh, leading up, you know, basically to the start of the season, I guess it'll be um, hopefully, you know, get all get all five of the uh, city county schools in here.
0: Yeah, no, that'll be that'll be really neat, and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that, and they'll, they'll get a really good feel when we talk to those guys because nobody know nobody probably has a better pulse of what's going on with their own teams uh, than than those guys, those head coaches. Uh, So they'll be able to fill us in on kind of what's going on with all the ins and the outs of the offseason and what to expect as they get ready for kickoff. So Broadway coach Danny Grog will be with us next week on the Rocktown Sports Pod. But Cody, let's dive in and talk about some of these top guys. You know, when I was kind of going through and doing some prep for today's podcast, what jumped out to me was everyone Spotswood has coming back. I was just looking up and down, and obviously you start at the quarterback.
1: Yeah, I mean, with so that was that was the first thing that came to mind too. You know, I I just sat down and made a quick list today, just kind of brainstorming for the podcast. Um, you know, not not officially looking at the list that I plan on releasing later um, in print in the print edition. Um, but they just have so many different guys that that played such a big role for them last year. I mean, outside of uh, Burton Brown, the running back and linebacker, and then Connell Ishinger, the wide receiver, that was a team that was mostly dominated by underclassmen last year, which I think. Was a big reason why it kind of brought a lot of excitement to that program and what they were able to accomplish. And yeah, I think it does all start with Ryan High. I think um, you could argue he could have been the best quarterback in the area last year. Um, he he kind of his numbers don't quite reflect, in my opinion, his his capability just because they run that that offense where it is so balanced and they run the ball so much throughout the game. And and they don't. They, there was plenty of games where he only threw it 10, 11 times compared to some of the quarterbacks out there who throw it 25, 30. So. You know, I think he's got to be the biggest name on the board when you look at Spotswood, and then you know, just going down the list, you've got Rob Smith, the wide receiver, and that that was a converted basketball player who just had a huge year for them, um, arguably the best athlete in the area, and then you got Ethan Barnhart, which. Last year he kind of split time with Brennan Brown in the backfield, and then now this year maybe that, that kind of becomes his team and, and his position at, at running back. And then obviously on the defensive side of the ball, there's several big names as well. So just, you know, as a, as a team, they've got a lot returning and, and a lot of big-name players that that are probably some of the better players in the area.
0: When, when we when we talk about High, what do you think separates him from the rest of the quarterbacks in the city county? and? Uh, and in the Valley District for that. Well, I think it's his arm
1: strength for sure, and, and just in terms of he, he's the most you know pro style type of quarterback that you're going to see. I mean, he's going to drop back, and he, but he does have a little bit of mobility. He showed he showed that at times last year. He was able to get out of the pocket and still make throws. Um, you know, in the playoff game, even though they lost uh, to Liberty Bedford in the first round, I mean, there were several throws that he came out of the pocket because he was getting pressured and was able to make deep throws to either Smith or um, Connell Schinger throughout the game. Um, you know, you, there's not many quarterbacks in, in the league this year that can do that. Um, there weren't many quarterbacks that could do that last year. You know, Rockbridge runs that that kind of spread style where, where they obviously like to toss it around. But I think in terms of, you know, just day-to-day and long-term potential at the at the quarterback position, I think Ryan Howe might be the best.
0: It's obviously going to be his junior season. Where does he stand out with recruiting? Are, are schools starting to look at him? Is he doing a camp tour? what do you know about Ryan Hyde at this point on the on the recruiting angle of it
1: i think i mean i think it's just getting started for him i think you know last year i don't think anybody really knew what to expect um you know his brother had been in that position in the previous the previous couple of years um so everybody just kind of wondered what to expect he was a sophomore was he ready um, he came out in that first game against East Rock and kind of struggled a little bit, threw a couple of picks, and then the way he just kind of rebounded throughout the year, and, and you know, there were games where he not, wasn't necessarily flashy, he only threw for a hundred and some yards or so, but he would get always get the job done, so I think as the year went along, his name kind of got bigger and, and got, you know, a little bit more well-known. Um, I know he spent a lot of time this throughout this all-season, him, Rob Smith, some of those guys going to different camps, UVA, Liberty, some of these different schools, Richmond, um, getting his name out there. So I, I would anticipate, you know, this year, uh, his junior season with another big year, I would anticipate that's when you'll start seeing, you know, the offers start coming in.
0: Okay, linebacker core there for Spotswood, pretty impressive. Obviously, Conahan. Uh, who sometimes will carry it in the backfield also, right, but right. Uh, at linebacker between Conahan and what Cole Myers? Yes, yeah. how do you how do you assess that duo in terms of not only in the league or district, I should say, not league league is college football, but district right. uh, in terms of where that duo of linebackers stack up, but also. When you kind of look widespread, and, and you know, in the class, and in terms of the state as well.
1: Yeah, I think they're I mean, you've got to think that Spotswood has one of the better defenses in the region, in my opinion. I mean, they were the number two seed going into into the region regional tournament last year. Um, obviously, got upset as we all know. But when you looked at that linebacker group last year, it was uh, Cole Myers, Ben Conahan, like you mentioned and then Ethan Barnhart, who I just mentioned a while ago, and then Brennan Brown. So out of those four, you know, they had all four at the fullback-running back position on offense, and they had all four at the linebacker position. Um, I wrote about them four last year and kind of how tight-knit they were and and how much of an advantage that was for, for Dale Shiflett in terms of being able to switch all of those four out at any time and have that kind of depth built on both sides of the ball. Um, they only lose Brown from that group. So, you know, you've they've got some names that can step up in that position, um, and then you've still got a capable four there. Even if not, you've got a capable three. Um, you know, I, I think – that group, in general, is, is one of the best in the region, and I think the defense as a whole, which was really a strength of them for them last year, um, has to be considered one of the best.
0: Uh, it, it's really interesting. Okay, so we know Spotswood has pretty much everybody back, and I'm sure we'll talk to Dale with it when we get him on the Rocktown Sports Pod, but when you look outside of Spotswood, because uh, you can probably mention a couple of players there as being the best returning player in the district or in the city county, when you look outside of Spotswood, who is most impressive to you? Who is the guy that you're like, eh, he, he could be? If anybody's going to challenge when a Spotswood starts for the best player in the league, who, who, who will you point to?
1: Well, I think, you know, we mentioned him last week. I think it's got to be, you know, Harrisonburg's Quentin Smiley. Um, just in terms of his playmaking ability, he is, he is so electric. He's probably the most electric player this year around the area. Um, I think Jaywan Evans was that guy last year in terms of guys who you could, you know, when he got the ball in space... Uh, he was able to make a play um, in just a matter of seconds. I think Quentin Smiley's got that same ability. He showed that last year. Um, I'm interested to see what he looks like when training camp rolls around, just in terms of how much more muscle he's put on, um, what his throwing mechanics look like. And and depending on what he's done with his throwing, he could eventually over overtake High as the best quarterback if, if he's improved in that area, in my opinion. Um, but just in terms of his running abilities, I think alone make him, you know, arguably, if not the best player, one of the best players in the, in the league, and and I think, he's, he, I think he's primed for a big year. You know, last year there was a lot around uh, Marcus Robinson-Jenkins. Um, you know, he missed the first five games, came back. Um, they had some other capable running backs, Victor Lynch, some of those guys. But I just think with, with Quentin Smiley this year, with one year under his belt, a little bit more comfort level there in that offense, I think he's primed for a really, really big year.
0: Yeah, 2,200 all-purpose yards last year, 24 total touchdowns last year for Smiley. Impressive uh, for sure. Anybody else at Harrisonburg that, that, that you think is, is one player to watch? I don't know if you look at it in terms of a district level or an all-state level, but uh, just a, a player that can contribute for the Blue Streaks.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of names there. I mean, if you're talking just in terms of recruiting and, and guys that have a chance, a very serious chance of playing at the next level, it's Mateo Peric, their kicker. Um, he, <laughs> he's an, an all-region kicker. Um, a guy who can really change the game with his leg. Uh, we talked a little bit about Aubrey Atwell last week, um, but Mateo Peric was actually the first team choice over him um, at both the punting and kicking positions as a junior last year. So he's got already been starting getting some Division One looks. I'm not sure if he's got an offer yet, but he has got some looks. Um, so I think just – you know, in terms of that kind of level, I think he's he's the one guy that could really, you know, have a really bright future there. Um, another guy, just in terms of locally, who could be, be primed for a big year is, is Austin White, who originally battled with Smiley for the quarterback position, um, moved to receiver, and really showcased kind of the ability to make a difference there throughout the year. Um, you know, I know he's been doing some some camps and some different things this year as well, trying to work on his his receiving game. Um, obviously, older brother A. C. White at uh, Old Dominion, who's yeah. now a tight end, so. Um, I'm interested to see kind of what he does this year and if he can kind of take that next step and take his game to a new level.
0: Yeah, Interesting trio there for Harrisonburg, for sure. One player that, that kind of always stuck out to me last year, and I felt bad because he was on a bad team, uh, is, is Turner Ashby's Grant Swinehart. Probably the best player they have. I, I think that's probably a safe bet to say that. Uh, I don't know if you want to put Jesse Knight in that conversation, but in terms of Swinehart, I just was so impressed last year because – I saw T.A., I think, maybe three times, three, four times. I was kind of on the T.A. beat there for a while. Uh, Whenever JMU was home, I I felt like I got T.A. uh, either going up to Bridgewater or seeing them on the road somewhere. And it always stuck out to me because they would just give Swinehart the rock over and over again and hope he could do something to keep T.A. in the ballgame.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned a while ago uh who I thought could maybe step up this year and be the best player. And he's another guy that I think has to be in that contention. Um, you know, he, w- he was doing a little bit of everything for them last year. I mean, they came into the year. I know Chris Fraser had told me a lot during the preseason how they had five or six guys that they really wanted to just spread out the ball, um, give a lot of carries to a lot of different guys. And I think that once the year started, Swinehart just kind of took that opportunity and ran with it. And, and they didn't have any choice but to keep giving them the ball. Um, you know, he was primed for, if he would have played a full season, he was primed to arguably be the, the district's leading rusher. If not, he was going to be top three at least. Um, he was having a really, really big year. Uh, suffered injury late in the year. I missed the last two or three games. Um, and, you know, I really think that kind of just changed everything for them as well. Kind of just, you know, their season was already somewhat going south. And then when that happened, it, it really, you know. Spiraled. Just, yeah, derailed them completely. So I think, you know, he, he came back from an injury um, played basketball. wasn't quite himself during basketball. Did some more work with um, rehab wise. Came back in track and had a big um, indoor track season, outdoor track season. Um, won, a, won a state ring with the, with their four by two team. Um, and then now, you know, I think with a full summer, um, again, another guy that I've seen has been going to camps. Um, some somebody I'm actually probably going to write about later this week, just in terms of getting back. Um, I think you know he could be primed in that offense to kind of become the guy this year. Um, and, and, you know, maybe like Jake Capasso we saw a couple of years ago in terms of how he carried the ball, it felt like, you know, 30, 40 times over a game. Over and over again. We yeah. may see that with them this year. They lose Trey Gillenwater, who's now Eastern Mennonite for basketball. Um, you know, losing him, he was supposed to be their starting quarterback this year. So maybe this becomes a team that really, really focuses on the run. Um, a lot of their other options have graduated. So, you know, I'm interested to see what he does this year and, and kind of how much he takes advantage of becoming the guy there in T.A.
0: Yeah, this is this is probably a better question for for Frazier if, if and when we get him on the podcast. But when you talk about Swinehart, there probably is that temptation to just go to him over and over again. But you're also talking about somebody who who you know got hurt last year, and when he's out. It's
1: tougher. It's, right, it's tougher right. to win. How do
0: you keep? How do you kind of draw that line? Draw that balance?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's what they're going to have to try and do. And, and the problem was last year they had guys. You know, Tyler Quick at the quarterback position, who was mobile and could get out and run a little bit. They had Sam Quisenberry, one of the fastest players in the, in the district, who out of the wide receiver position. They had some other playmakers around them. And they still weren't able to find success. So that's going to be a big question. I mean, last year when Grant Swanhart went down, um, C.J. Haskins stepped in, and, and he was undersized. He, he's not very big, but, he, and man, he's tough, and he, he was a great defensive end for them. Um, then he, he was asked to also to kind of do the, carry that running back load, and, you know, he, he took a beating some games, but he, he, did a, he did a solid job for them. But I think it became clear that the, that's not – that wasn't a team that could necessarily just sit there and just pound it, you know, down the middle every single play and just keep going to the same guy. Um, especially this year when teams know they don't have Sam Quisenberry out there, they don't have Tyler Quick back there, no um, Trey Gillenwater. It's going to be tough, um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of who steps up around him to try and divert some of that attention away from him.
0: Okay, how about Broadway? Uh, Brent Hulse, who else?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Broadway lost a lot, and it's going to Danny Grog definitely is going to have a little bit of a tough task. Um, I think the biggest question mark, obviously, is the quarterback spot. Um, Nick Lore graduated. He had a huge year last year, um, especially. I feel like during that, that five game run there in the year where they finished four and one. Um, he was he was passing for 300, 400 yards a game. Um, it was a was really fun, run. I know we enjoyed it here in the office talking about it, and just with him leaving, and, and you know Bryce Suter's opting not to play this year, focused on some of his travel ball duties with baseball. It um, kind of left the quarterback position as a question mark. And, and talking a little bit this week to some of those guys, um, Caleb Williams, who was a wide receiver um, for them, played a lot as a sophomore, was, had a big year as a sophomore at wide receiver, um, was, had a huge game in the opener last year against Western Albemarle, and then uh, suffered a knee injury against Skyline. Ended up uh, not playing football the rest of the year, played basketball, had a huge year in basketball, um, and then had surgery, came back, and now he's been rehabbing and has opted to switch to quarterback um, he's going to compete for the job. They haven't named a starter yet, but he's, you know, he's arguably the best athlete on that team. And I think, you know, he has a chance there. If he can come back healthy, if he can get cleared, if everything can go right, you know, he could be a difference maker there at the quarterback position. Um, and then they've got some, some capable wide receivers out wide as well in terms of guys like Nate Tannell, the basketball player who, you know, he's 6'4", 6'5". Feels like he grows every time I see him. Um, just, you know, I think he's he's a guy who could really develop into, He's got the body build of a potential, you know, Division two, Division one type tight end eventually because of how he's built. Um, so, you know, they've got a lot of question marks, but I think, you know, Caleb Williams at the quarterback position, or even if not, even if he ends up back at wide receiver, I think he's the biggest name there just because of how, how much playmaking ability he has and how elite he is as an athlete.
0: Okay, so now I kind of want to go just to the opposite end of the spectrum that, that you know where Spotswood had everyone back, uh winning <laughs> team that had every that has everyone back. You got East Rock, which it it looks like the opposite, correct?
1: Yeah, but it's going to be tough for them and I, Donnie Coleman knew that last year. I mean, he he's he's made that comment to me several times. I mean, they I think it was 21, 22. I can't even remember the exact number now. They lost, I mean, pretty much everybody. Um, were, there's only a handful of players who, who play, saw significant time. Fortunately for them, um, the one positive out of that last year was that they blew so many people out. They were beating people by so much that a lot of these games, the underclassmen were playing most of the second okay. half. Um, mm-hmm. Games like that because, I mean, I, I remember even towards the end you were talking about Jawan Evans and those guys. Their stats were so so off because they had missed, you know, 11, 12 quarters worth of game time just from from being up so much. So, um, hopefully those game situations paid off, but you know I think the two biggest names have to be two guys that played a lot last year in terms of Tice McNair who was the wide receiver, obviously the basketball stand. His brother used to be the quarterback before Dylan Williams. Um, he, he's I would say he's expected to be the quarterback this year. He competed with Williams for the job before, so he'll likely be in that quarterback slot, which I think will be interesting to see because he's been you know, – I've talked to a lot of the the people around East Rock, and I think he's one of the better athletes in the school. So having him at that quarterback spot will be interesting to see if that changes anything they do offensively. Um, If they run the ball maybe a little bit more with their quarterback, what they do there. And then um, Trenton Morris over on the defensive end, but also at the running back spot – Obviously, nobody was getting a whole lot of carries behind Jawan Evans. So, you know, to see him maybe step up and get some more carries um, offensively, he was an all-region linebacker, all-state linebacker. So, you know, ha- having him back and seeing him kind of step up and replace Blake Baylor, um, you know, I think that'll be a- another big key. But, um, yeah, I think I think – East Rock's going to be okay. I think that they're you know, I don't think the whole ship's sinking like some people may think.
0: Well, when I the other thing, the other part of that is when you have a guy like Donnie who's been there, it's his program. Right. The players are entrenched. They they see it as a program. It's not a team that turns over year to year. They see it as, you know, they're kind of just the next wave of players that East Rock will have as opposed to, you know, where some programs if they were to lose, you know, 10, 12 11 15 20 important players uh, where there'd be a complete drop off you have east rock players that have been entrenched in the program for a few years and now it's just their turn to play i think that's the big difference when you look at the when you look at the eagles
1: yeah and i think you know i think that's what winning does i mean that's if you look at riverhead and some of these you know powerhouse teams around the state that's exactly what they do and I think that's what, you know, Donnie has been trying to build at East Rock. And I think last year it w- was where the moment he felt, you know, I think when those seniors from last year came in to the program, they kind of felt like maybe this is the group that can build and, and develop what we're trying to start here at East Rock. And, and now that they've started it, now that, that, that the players below them have seen what, what it takes to win and, you know, the, the work ethic and everything else that it takes to get to that level, you know, They've seen – last year you saw it at times. I mean, they would – the backups would come into games against the other team's starters and and still be scoring at will and and they'd be getting stops and they'd be doing things right. So, you know, I I think that those players – what you see when you have a winning team like that is that's what you build. It's it's the same with the basketball team. It's the same with – it's possible with girls basketball and teams like that every year the, the kids who step up they know they're just expected to fill that role and not necessarily, you know, change anything. It's it's not that pressure's on you now. It's just that you're expected to step up and fill the role that the guy before you did.
0: Yeah, no doubt. It's really interesting. It's actually something that James Madison has done well over the past couple of years. You look at last year's team, it was a young group after mm-hmm. you know they graduated. Uh, you know, guys like Aaron Stinney and Brian Shore uh, and, and Raven Green, guys like that. Uh, although they went nine and four, and, and from my conversations with, with Mac Patrick and Rashad Robinson recently, you know nine and four was kind of unacceptable. <laughs> uh, you know that group of players still won nine games for a lot of guys who hadn't seen the field for the first time. So it's kind of interesting when you look at that. Some programs are just set up for success. It seems like East Rock is, uh, but want to want to get into James Madison a bit uh, because this week, you know, and, and really, yeah, I, I always have stories on JMU football because it's kind of what drives. My job right. uh, is, is staying in tune with JMU, even during the offseason. But uh, you look at you look at some of the things that's gone on with the program, and I think that, that that story that I had today about you know just the teams being the team being more motivated than it was, it was kind of interesting just to just to listen to Rashad and Mac uh, discuss those film sessions
1: uh,
0: of the Elon game last year, sitting in the room and having Kurt Signetti there and five of his assistants that were on the Elon staff. Uh, kind of go back and forth with them. I just thought it was just fascinating uh, because because it, that never really happens.
1: Right, right. And I, I was going to say, what's interesting to me is it seems like the, the motivation level for this for JMU this year it, it hasn't really changed. You kind of mentioned there about how when it, when a program is winning, it, it the the mindset is always a step up, and they kind of built that under Mike Houston. It seems like that hasn't changed with with Signetti there.
0: No, that's 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 a good that's a good takeaway. I would say from from kind of how it's evolved. Uh, Houston definitely raised the level of expectations that from the, from the from two regimes now separated, uh, which was ever Withers' staff uh, raised the expectation that not only are you gonna you know win conference championships and get to the playoffs, but you're also gonna compete for national championships. That hasn't changed. I don't think that changed last year. I really don't think that changed last year. I think what changed was you had a group of younger players that had seen what the past two seasons, what the previous two seasons were, in the fact that. When JMU steps on the field, they're the best team, and there's an expectation to win regardless of right. what's going on. And sometimes when you expect that, especially for a younger group, you lose sight of, oh, there there are teams that are capable of beating you. And that's kind of what Mack and Rashad had said to me was, you know, for, for guys that had never lost at home, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're talking about Elon who snapped that 19-game home winning streak, uh, 20-game CAA winning streak. Uh, and gave Mike Houston the only loss that he suffered in three seasons at Bridgeford Stadium. Right, right. Uh, you're talking about guys who didn't know what to do. I think Rashad said it best: was you know they didn't know whether to go hang out and, and play, listen to the band <laughs> play the fight song, or just go back sad in the locker room. You know, so I, I think it's kind of interesting. Dynamics is as as that group matures a little bit and understands it. You got to bring it every single week. Uh, in order to be the team that plays in back-to-back national championship games.
1: Have you seen any different approach from them, just in terms of this year's, you know, preseason stuff and last year's? With you know, last year you mentioned how young they were and maybe they didn't know how to how to prepare the right way or didn't know how to, how you have to go on a day-to-day approach. Um, have you seen any difference in this year's team?
0: Yeah, I, I I think so. I think that the the major difference is kind of what we were just talking about is that. You know, you can't take off days. You can't You can't do that. Even Mike Houston last year, he had told me in, in training camp that, you know, this this team just doesn't know how to bring it consistently day in and day out like the previous year did uh, when you had, they had veteran leaders like Shore and Stanning and Green kind of leading the way. Uh, you, you look at this year's team, and I think there's some accountability there. I think Rashad and Mack are handling that. Uh, guys like Rondell Carter, too, John Dacca. Uh, when you get that kind of leadership where it's being patrolled from within – uh, there's less on a coaching staff to have to have to bring that out of players. And I think that's important. And my conversation with Brian Phillips, the strength coach, uh, basically what he told me is he's like, these kids are coachable.
1: Mm-hmm. They're
0: really good. And that, that stems from a little bit of, of being able to get through to them from the previous staff. I think Houston staff deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, but Phillips said, you know, when they're when they're coachable, they're easy to work with. And when they're easy to work with, things get done. Uh, because they want the, the players want them to get done, so I think I think that's been something really fascinating to learn about this summer is how the transition has been pretty smooth as the players have kind of taken control uh, and 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 known that they've had to be accountable for what they do.
1: Yeah, and I just wonder how important that was for Signetti's transition as well, just in terms of having the players kind of step up. Enough. I know I've had. You know, talking to some of the high school coaches, even my story today on Michaela Fallon from Harrisburg Soccer, their coach talked about it was his first year coaching, and he mentioned how she kind of stepped up as a leader and, and as a captain, and it helped him a lot. I just wonder for Signetti, how much having those guys, you know, you mentioned the Ronald Carstens, those guys stepping up, how much that's made his job easier as the head coach.
0: Yeah, it it's certainly. I mean, I think it's it's a good situation Signetti's walked into. You're talking about 20 of 22 starters <laughs> back. Uh, that's that's. That's prime territory there. I mean, that, that's a good thing because you have experience back. Uh, and I'm, sh- I'm sure he likes the expectation, but there are expectations yeah, <laughs> when you bring that many back. Uh, you know, the the stats FCS preseason, Paul, I, I got my uh, notification from Craig Haley over at stats that, you know, the, the ballot will be out soon. And you know a lot of people are going to slot JMU at one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you can do that and put them number one above NDSU until – you know, until NDSU knocked off the perch. Uh, but for for JMU, it, the expectation will be there. I mean, I think that's that's the one thing that you look at in terms of James Madison you think about, oh, okay, the expectations are still there.
1: Right. He, I mean, he certainly has to know. I mean, he, he comes into a little bit of a high-pressure situation because, you know, you talked about the, the expectation of what, what it is, you know, what it takes to win at Madison and, and what those, how many wins those guys expect. And to go, coming off a 9-4 and four year, if they weren't satisfied um, to return 20 twenty starters, I mean, you would think that, you know, anything less than, what, 9-10 wins that they're not going to be happy with?
0: Well, that's the thing. And Cignetti's even said it himself. He goes, you know, for as much talent as they've had and as much talent as that group is that, that, that he has back. You know they still did lose four times. You know, so he knows he knows the expectation needed to be raised, and I think that's something uh, you know that that JMU has to embrace, and that you know that's not going to be accepted. And I think any team in pursuit of a national championship uh, certainly knows that. But when when it comes down to it, I think he'll be he'll be fine. He'll know how to manage those expectations. Remember, he was at Alabama, right? But uh, right. before <laughs> Elon, before IEP, he was at Alabama, a place where expectations uh, kind of live.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about you know, you've you, you started these position previews, um, you know, and you mentioned leadership. And I know for most teams, the leadership kind of comes from that quarterback position. Yeah. And you, and you talked in today's paper a little bit about, you know, even though, you know, they've got DiNucci coming back, um, it, it seems like it's still a competition there. Um, you know, what's kind of been your read on that and what, what's going on there with the quarterback position?
0: Yeah, my, my take, uh, just as, as the observer, is that it's DiNucci's job to lose. But, you know, he hasn't been named the starter yet, so there's still an open competition. And uh, for as tight as it was last year, I don't know if it'll be that tight, obviously, going into it since Danucci was the starter for all of last year. But, you know, he's a guy that was inconsistent. When he was good, it was awesome for JMU. I mean, they they would roll people when he was good. When he wasn't, it was a detriment. I mean, you can't turn a ball over five times in the playoffs and expect to win. The five interceptions at Colgate hurt. You look back to the New Hampshire game, two turnovers in the first two possessions, leading the points for the Wildcats. It's what you know, kind of, kind of, was the catalyst for New Hampshire upsetting JMU up in Durham. A, a, a game, you know, JMU players will tell you that that was unacceptable. Uh, so I think you 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 look at the quarterback spot. Uh, Danucci, Cole Johnson, Gage Maloney, those those are the three guys that will be in competition. Last year, it started as that, and eventually it was Danucci and Johnson kind of jockeying for that top spot uh, on the depth chart before uh, Houston named Danucci the starter uh, on the eve of the NC State game. Uh, this year, I think Maloney probably is the contender as opposed to Johnson. Maloney had a good spring. Uh, I know the spring game wasn't great and that Johnson probably had the better spring game of the two. But when you look at the, the whole spring, I think Maloney was better. So I think that's maybe uh, the tougher competition for Danucci is is Gage Maloney fits what Kurt Signetti wants to do. But at the end of the day, I still think Danucci's the best player for them at the position as long as he takes care of the football. Maybe Signetti can help with that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, what, what's his leash like there in terms of you know how quick would they be to pull him if, if it gets into, you know, once the season starts and they get into game situations, if, if the turnovers do continue, um, you know, how much, how much leeway does he have there before they do, do put in Maloney or Johnson?
0: Yeah, that's, that's the good thing about having multiple quarterbacks on the roster for Signetti. That's also a bad thing for Ben DiNucci. Uh, <laughs> there are other multiple quarterbacks that, that are capable. Uh, I think he'll have a leash, especially early. Uh, but if you start to see those turnovers where it snowballs one to two, two to three, and you're seeing the interceptions rise, I think Signetti would be quick to make a change. Uh, something that Houston... Although he yanked D'Nucci in that in, in that New Hampshire game, uh, you know it was never seriously looked at uh, as a real quarterback change because he didn't want to go to Johnson since Johnson was redshirting last year and Maloney just simply wasn't ready, I don't think. Uh, so I don't think there'd ever be that 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 switch last year. Whereas I think this year it's a little more real.
1: Yeah, and, and I know you're going to continue these these position previews now for for the next week week or two. Um, who, who are some of the other positions that you feel maybe are the biggest keys, maybe, maybe the ones to watch for the most, heading here in the training camp that's just a few weeks away?
0: Yeah, so in tomorrow's paper, you'll, you'll have the running back preview, and that's a much different position this year for James Madison, really, since, it's, since the last, what, half decade? Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about the playoff run that they've had, five straight playoff appearances, and they've had uh, always somebody returning that they've counted on the previous year. Uh, this year, that's not the case. No more Marcus Marshall, Cardin Johnson, Trey Sharp. It'll be up to Percy Ajay Obese, and Jawan Hamilton to figure it out. Uh, and and that's an interesting spot because it's a position. Signetti wants to lean on. He said he wants to lead the the conference and the country in rushing. Uh, so if you're gonna do that, you need you need a running back to carry the football. At least a couple of them. So I think that's an interesting position. Uh, the wide receiver with a couple of, wide receiver spot with a couple of transfers, and then on the defensive side, I think you will at a defensive line. And you think Dak uh, Carter, Adiba Tarawa, Mike Green, all guys that, that could be all-conference players, probably three of the four could be All-Americans.
1: Yeah, I mean, is it safe to say that defense is it's the backbone of this year's team?
0: For sure. I, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, though they lose Jimmy Moreland, and that's, that's tough, a seventh-round pick of the Washington Redskins. You still have a ton of experience back. You have two older veteran middle linebackers back in Landon Worden and Dimitri Holloway. Uh, your two safeties both started last year. You get back Rashad Robinson. I know it's tough to lose Moreland, but you also get back Robinson, who, who missed all of last year with the turf toe. Uh, so he, that defense should be pretty good, uh, really because of the experience that they bring back.
1: Yeah, the only other question I have for you about that was just in terms of Rashad Robinson. I mean, you mentioned him missing last year with the turf toe injury. Um, I know a lot of people were excited to see him and Moreland back there yeah, again. That would have been um, nice for that. For yeah, Jamie absolutely. I mean, what, what have you heard or seen out of him leading up to this year? Um, you know, how's he looking health-wise, and what are they kind of expecting out of him this year?
0: Well, Mac Patrick told me Rashad's the most impressive guy in the weight room right now, and that's, <laughs> that's a scary thought. I know Rashad told me he's kind of itching to play. Uh, his last game was the national championship loss to North Dakota State, uh, you know, to finish the 2017 season. So he's like, man, I, I can't wait to get back on the field. Right. It, it's been a long time <laughs> for him. Uh, so I think things are good with Rashad. Uh, I think they'll match him up in man-to-man coverage and let him kind of do his thing at the corner spot. Uh, so I think things are really good for Jamie right now in terms of Rashad Robinson and getting him back healthy. So uh, that... that I think is a good place to stop with the JMU conversation because it'll it'll be here soon, CA Media Day in two weeks. Uh, all the football stuff you can read in the DNR, dnronline.com uh, for, for both of our stuff, and then also you can read at dukesjmu.com for the JMU stuff as well. Uh, you can pick up a paper that also uh, works if you want to do it that way. Cody Cody's favorite way, pick up the paper, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely, every morning, every morning.
0: There you go, <laughs> there you go. Before Before we wrap up here, gotta get to the valley league and the rockingham county baseball league it's we haven't really done an update on it in a while on a podcast so i did want to touch on it uh let's start in rcbl because that's what what you've been covering when you look at the standings it's clover hill uh as to quote the movie Moneyball, 50 feet of i guess crap we can call it and then everybody else yeah, uh, what what's going on? Why are the Bucks playing so well?
1: Well, they've got a ton of experience. I wrote about this, I think, two weeks ago. They've just got so many. Um, veteran guys, you know they have they have uh, you know Ross French, Drew Easter, Blake Sife, uh Kevin Chandler. I've heard those names before. Yeah, you, they've been around the league now for it feels like twenty years, probably legitimately you know five to ten years now.
0: It it kind of feels like those Stewards draft teams of of two three Absolutely. years ago. That that's kind of what I'm thinking with the Coopers and. And the Dimmits, you right. know, you look at those. And, groups, and, those and the groups.
1: difference is, back then, you know, you had those teams like like Clover Hill and Draft, and and sometimes in Bridgewater as well. Last year with with Andrew Armstrong, right. Kevin Bocock, and those guys, and and you know, they uh, Clover Hill used to have Addison Bowman and those guys. You know, Tyler Bocock left Bridgewater last year. Comes over to Clover Hill this year. You know, then Andrew Armstrong, Brian Bocock, Kevin Bocock, they all step away. Hang it up. Um, Hang you know, and so I think what you're seeing is you have all these. These grown men, these guys who are 28, 29, 30, playing in Clover Hill, and then you've got a league that for the most part around the rest of the league is very, very young. I read about that last week was, you know, you've got a lot of high school guys, you've got a lot of Division Three co- base- college baseball players, um, and I think that's where the parity is. You know, it, it seems like every time a team gets hot behind them, um, as soon as they get hot, then they drop two or three in a row, or, you know, as soon as they go on a little bit of a winning streak, something bad happens. Nobody has seemed to kind of make any kind of climb up the standings. It's and Every night I feel like I check in, it's it's flip-flopping. Um, it, it legitimately has had teams go from second to sixth in a matter of a day or two. I mean, it's just been insane right behind them.
0: I was going to say, you got everybody else kind of muddled around 500. Most of those teams are right around 500. I know Elton's not as good as mm-hmm. those teams. Uh, they're, they're further in the standings back, but everybody else is kind of right around 500. So that kind of makes for an interesting dynamic when you look toward the postseason, when you start kind of peeking ahead, because soon enough it'll be, uh, you know, Rockingham County Baseball League playoffs, and you'll have Clover Hill on the extreme end, and then everybody else, it, the, the rest of the field, to, that, that that route to try to face Clover Hill in the championship series, that'll be
1: wild, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it's wide open, and I think that's kind of the goal, is everybody knows that if they can just, you know, that once they get to the playoffs, they have a chance, and then obviously... I think if you get to the championship series, then obviously you just go out there and you, you hope that you can pull off some upsets and, and win the series. But to get there, I don't think there's it's necessarily you can look at a path and say, oh, this is the hardest path or this is the easiest path. Because I think that at at some point this season, everybody has shown the ability to, that they've been able to play good baseball. Even Elkton at one point um, was playing well, and then they lost six or seven in a row. that And that's what kind of sunk them in the standings. Um, Montezuma was playing well. They've had some injuries late. Uh, Grotto's recently won six or seven in a row Then lost two in a row So it's, it's really been that type of year And I think that all those teams feel like If they can right the ship And, and I think every single one of them for, for good reason They all feel like they have a chance to right the ship If they can right the ship a little bit They have a chance to you know make a run
0: And uh, it's, it's interesting for sure And uh, In the Valley League you got Harrisonburg, the Turks uh, They're 12-13, 6.5 behind first place Waynesboro, they're at Charlottesville tonight when I when I think of the Turks right now, I just kind of see a team that's that's very close to figuring it out. Uh, you know, they had that surge where they were, you know, down and they were in the standings early in the year. Mm-hmm. They had that surge, and now they're even closer to kind of kind of pushing out of that, uh, getting above 500 and figuring it out. I've been impressed with Josh Madol. Uh, I wrote a story about him. He's a hit for average guy. Uh, he told me, you know, launch angle's not for him. Right. I, I was like, man, that's, that's <laughs> great. He's hitting 360, 31 hits, 5 doubles, 14 ribbies. Uh, I think I think that Turks team is, is close to figuring out. It's just a matter of, you know, can they not have a rainout? And, and yeah, play that's, that's these been teams. a big
1: question here.
0: Right? Uh, seriously, like last week it's been crazy with the rainouts. But you look at the Turks, uh, they're in the middle of it. I think, uh, you know, if they can just get a little bit more consistent pitching, they'll, they'll be all right.
1: Yeah, which is strange because I know Jacob Ferris has pitched really yeah. well for him. Um, and it seems like they haven't really been able to get much you know, behind him a little bit. Um, it, but it does seem like Waynesboro's kind of separated themselves from, yeah, from the rest good. of the league. They're, they've been playing really well Stras- recently.
0: Strasburg's also good right, right uh, on so the other side.
1: It, it, but if there's one thing I've learned from the Valley League over the years, is it's, not, it's never predictable. Right? And, and kind of like we mentioned with the RCBL, um, you know, I think once the postseason rolls around, because you never know, you know, when guys go back early. You have all these different factors that come into play. Um, you know, anybody can make a run. So, I think I'm kind of with you on that. I, I think Harrisonburg has a chance there. If they can get things turned around in time, maybe if they hit one of those hot streaks again, you know, towards the end of the season, maybe it's at the right time when they make a run.
0: Yeah, Shane, who's not with us on today's pod, uh, he wrote a story about a couple of their JMU kids playing well and starting to figure it out. I think – I hope he I, – I think – Kind of what Shane said was that, you know, they were kind of hoping those JMU kids could serve as a catalyst a little bit. Uh, that's Harry Brown, Nick Zona, uh, and they're both hitting really well, playing playing in the friendly confines of their home park.
1: Yeah, it seems like Harry Brown especially has come on late. I know, you know, he recently he's, he's had a couple of really big games for them, um, you know, ha- had a couple of home runs. Um, was a guy who had some injuries, while, you know, throughout yeah, his JMU right, career. Right. Um, so I know I talked to him earlier this year when I was talking when I did a story on Jacob Ferris, and he kind of mentioned he, you know, he just came to the Turks because his quest to home, and it was a chance for him to kind of just keep getting back to his old self from where he was before. He didn't feel like he had quite the year he wanted to, um, and it seems like maybe he's kind of kind of coming into his own a little bit here late. Um, if he continues to develop, I think you know he could be a real difference maker.
0: Yeah, for sure. So interesting times for the Turks. They're at Charlottesville tonight. RCBL, do you know who's on the schedule tonight?
1: Uh, I want to say Broadway and Bridgewater. Broadway or, and Grotto's and Storch Draft this one. Okay. Um, now I think I want to say Broadway and Bridgewater. They play like two or three games here in a row. Wow. <laughs> the well, same two They team a little mini series. That's, that's what happens when there's some rainouts. Yeah, the rainouts have really forced. A, you know, they had a couple of rainouts last night. Um, they had several over the weekend, so. Um, probably be a lot of RCBL games on the schedule here
0: in the next couple weeks. Yeah, so we got you covered with the RCBL and the Valley League as well. Uh, but that'll do it for today's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Remember, next week uh, we'll have Danny Grog on from Broadway Football, and that, that should be interesting. We'll learn all about the new helmets, the new jerseys, the new coach, the new quarterback maybe. Uh, so that should be an interesting conversation, get you set as we inch a little bit closer toward football season. Big thanks to Cody Elliott, the prep writer here at the DNR, for joining me on today's podcast. Next week, uh, we should be back with the full crew next week. Or you're on vacation next week. Uh, I, won't,
1: I will not be here next week.
0: Okay, so we got...
1: So you guys will have Danny
0: Grog. We'll have Danny Grog. <laughs> Jim will be back. Jim's on vacation this week. Uh, and then, uh, Tis the season for yeah.
1: sports writers. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to take
0: it in the summer. I, I, I basically was off all last month. You've got to take it when you can uh, because you don't get those days back. So uh, we'll tune back next week. We'll figure out who uh, – we'll, 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 we'll get it figured out and have somebody found the podcast for you. I'll be here uh, along with Jim and, and Shane next week uh, as well as Danny Grog. So big thanks to Cody for joining us. Have fun on vacation. Uh, enjoy it. Uh, until next week, I am Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.